here's the bottom line. Jesus, through his death on the cross, became the only source of human peace, both peace with God and peace with others. If you ever hope for peace, that's the only way you'll get it. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his series with part six of He Himself is Our Peace. Peace in relationships is a thing well-desired, but not always the reality. Are there walls that divide you from family, co-workers? Spiritually, are there walls of enmity between you and God? Well, throughout our series on Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 18, Tom has taught how Christ has forever reconciled and eliminated the alienation and hostility that once existed between you and God. But how exactly did Christ accomplish that task? By what means did he win this peace? Let's find out from Tom Pennington with today's message on The Word Unleashed. You were all at the moment of salvation, baptized or immersed into Christ. Verse 28, that means because we're all one in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ. Now that doesn't mean that those things don't exist anymore. Obviously there are males sitting here and there are females sitting here. What he means is they don't matter anymore. Yes, the roles that we have assigned by God continue, but spiritually, we are all equal before God. We are on a level playing field. You remember the temple with its descending courts? It's been leveled, and the walls have been erased. We can all approach God spiritually equal in spite of those distinctions. By making redeemed Jews and Gentiles part of this one new entity, he has established peace between them. By the way, this is the only hope for the animosity that exists between Jews and Gentiles, or for that matter, the animosity and hostility that exists for any reason. Look back at verse 28. Whether you're talking about race, or whether you're talking about national differences, or cultural differences, or social differences, or even, verse 28, the differences between men and women. Ultimately, the only way there can be peace between people, the only way the walls can be broken down is in the church of Jesus Christ and through Christ. I've seen this myself personally. In the church, I've seen the wealthiest people I know ministering and serving alongside the poorest people I know. I've seen people with doctorates and advanced degrees ministering with those who don't have a high school diploma. I've seen in various countries, I've had the opportunity to minister in and to fellowship with Christians in India, in Australia and New Zealand, in Russia and the Ukraine, in Singapore and in Indonesia, in the Philippines, in Israel, in Italy, in England. And where I go, we're different in many different ways, perhaps racially or nationally or socially or culturally. But in Christ, none of those differences matter. We can gather like this and worship our Lord together. Those differences are done away with. All the things that divide us are broken down in the church. There's a second purpose that Christ had by becoming our peace. Go back to verse 15 of Ephesians 2. Pick up that expression, so that. He told us so that he might make the two into one new man. Verse 16, 
He does it not only to make peace with one another, but to bring peace with God. Look at verse 16. And might reconcile them both in one body to God. He wanted to reconcile us to God through the cross, by it having put to death the hostility between us and God. So in other words, when you look at Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15 shows us how Christ brings peace between people on the horizontal level Beginning in verse 16 and running through verse 18, Paul shows us how Christ brings peace between us and God vertically. But look at the emphasis of verse 16. That he might reconcile them both in one body to God. By both, he means Gentiles and Jews. Now tell me, what does that assume? If both Jews and Gentiles need to be reconciled to God, that means they both were what? Strangers to God, alienated from God. Reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 3 where he says, what then, are we Jews better than they Gentiles? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Now think about this, stay with me. The law not only separated Jews from Gentiles, and it not only separated Gentiles from Israel's God, but the law separated Israel from God because they could never obey it. So we all, regardless of our background, had the same problem, and we're all reconciled to God the same way. Christ has reconciled us both, notice he says, in one body, that is, in the church. How did Christ do this? How did he make this peace between us and God? How did he make this peace between us and others? By what means did he bring peace Well, there are, running through this passage, a series of prepositional phrases that identify the means God used. Look at verse 15, in his flesh. Also in verse 15, in himself. And then clearer, verse 16, through the cross. Do you understand that Jesus bought peace for you? He bought peace with God, and he bought peace with other people through the sacrifice of himself on the cross? Here's the bottom line. Jesus, through his death on the cross, became the only source of human peace, both peace with God and peace with others. If you ever hope for peace, that's the only way you'll get it. So, verses 14 to 16, he's given us the first reason, the ministry of Christ. That ministry is the ministry of peace. But verses 17 and 18, Paul identifies a second reason that this union exists, a second cause, not only the ministry of Christ, but the message of Christ. You see, Christ, who is our peace and who made peace, now announces peace. In verse 17, his message is peace, and peace that is available to all men regardless of their background. Look at verse 17. He, that is Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You'll notice that verse is in all caps. When you see that in your Bible, it means that the translators believe that that is a quotation of an Old Testament passage. In this case, it's taken from Isaiah 57, 19. Paul borrows the wording of Isaiah 57. Often he is explaining or exegeting. Here, he borrows the wording, just as we sometimes borrow the wording of Scripture, and take it out of, its, out of its original meaning, he borrows it here and changes the meaning. Because in the Old Testament context, if you look at it there, it's referring to Jews who were near and Jews who were far away in the dispersion. Here, 
Paul uses these words to refer to the Jews as near to God because God was in their midst in the temple and the Gentiles who were far away from God. And Jesus preached peace to both. He preached the gospel, in other words. You remember the gospel is called the gospel of peace in Ephesians chapter 6. Jesus preached this message of peace, peace with God, peace with others, to both Jews and Gentiles. During his earthly ministry, of course, the primary focus was the Jews. He himself said in Matthew's gospel that I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet, Jesus also brought this good news to Gentiles. There are a number of examples of this. You remember in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, he says, listen, the mission doesn't stop with Israel. I want you to go into all the nations and make disciples. John 1.29, Jesus has come to take away the sin of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In fact, turn over to John's gospel. Let me show you. There are a couple of very interesting passages, John 10, where John makes this point that Jesus' ministry was not restricted to Israel. John 10, verse 15, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. In other words, they're not part of the nation of Israel. I have other sheep that are not part of Israel. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. That's us, folks. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. They'll become one new flock, and I'll be the shepherd of them both. Over in chapter 11, verse 51, Caiaphas, the high priest, you remember, had his little prophecy unintentionally about Jesus. And he said Jesus was going to die for the nation And John adds this in verse 52, but he's not going to just die for the nation only, not just for Israel, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So you can see already in the ministry of Jesus, there was this mission beyond Israel. And of course, after Jesus' ascension, he sent his apostles out and The thrust of their ministry became in the following years, not only there in Judea, but in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth, to Gentiles as well as Jews. Jesus preached peace. Paul's point is this, Christ offered peace with God and peace with others to everybody, regardless of their background. And notice verse 18, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus announces not only peace, but he announces access. Access to God available to all Christians, regardless of their background. The key word here in verse 18 is the word access. It means the right to enter, or the right to approach. We've seen in this passage several allusions to the temple in Jerusalem. This word is also an allusion to the temple. Behind this word is another illustration from the temple in Jerusalem. The verb form of this word access occurs often in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And where it's used there, it has the idea of drawing near to God's presence with an offering. When you came to God, you were drawing near to God in His presence, you brought an offering. That's what this word meant, how it's used in verb form in the Old Testament. So the word access has the idea of the right to approach God, the right to approach the place of his presence because an offering has been offered. We have access. This word is only used three times in the New Testament. 
and every time it's used, Jesus is our point of access. It's used in Romans 5, 2, where it says we have access into forgiveness through Jesus. It's used here in Ephesians 2.18, where Jesus provides access into the presence of the Father. And then the third use, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, where it's used the third time. I love this one. Ephesians 3, verse 12. In whom, that is in Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Literally, we have access in confidence. Jesus provides access into the presence of God with great confidence. Reminds me of what Jesus called himself in John 10. He said, I am the door. I'm the way to God. I'm your access point. Or he said in John 14, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. I'm the access. Notice verse 18 says, Jesus is our access, but only through one spirit. Obviously, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at verse 18, because all three persons of the Trinity are there. They work together to make our peace. Jesus provides access, but he does that access, or he provides that access to the Father through the work of the Spirit. Look back at verse 18, though. I want you to see the main point. Notice, through Jesus, we both have our access. The picture behind these words is that together, all Christians, regardless of what divides us, have the right and confidence to approach the God of the universe and to approach Him together as Father. The idea here is not that we both have access, but that we both have access together. We approach God as Father together. And our Father makes no distinction between those children who are Jewish by birth and those who are Gentile by birth. What an incredible reality. We have access to God as Father together. The distinctions are gone in Christ. Now, this has been a wonderful passage, but let me make it very practical for you. How do we apply this profound truth that Christ is our peace, that He has bought our peace with God and our peace with each other? Let me give you very quickly three very specific applications. Number one, approach God with confidence through Christ. Approach God with confidence through Christ. I love the expressions in Romans 8 and in Galatians 4 where Paul says, here's how you approach God. Say, Abba, Father. In other words, you can approach God the Father the same way Jesus did. That's how Jesus spoke to the Father. You can speak to the Father just as His own unique Son does. You have access with confidence. Approach God with confidence. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews draws this out beautifully. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil. And the veil that was ripped, it was the flesh of Christ. In other words, by His death, He became our entry point to God. Therefore, verse 22, let us draw near. Listen, folks, you can approach God with confidence because Christ has made peace. But it's not just peace with God and access to Him that's talked of here. The work at the of Christ at the cross also means peace with one another. Application number two, don't allow any of the walls that divide humans to divide you from other Christians. 
Don't let any of the walls that divide humans divide you from other Christians. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Paul makes this point in the very same context. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I want you, you who have put on the new self, you're a new person, and you're now being renewed in a true knowledge of God, and a true knowledge of His will, ultimately into the image of Christ. You're not the person you used to be. And as this new person, verse 11, this renewal you're undergoing, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, between circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, those were two, two people groups that the Greeks looked down upon as lower than human, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Paul is saying, listen, those distinctions, while they're still a reality in, in the sense you live in the world, in the church, as we have spiritual access to God, those distinctions are done. They don't exist. We're all one in Christ. It's as if that temple mount that was once cascading with that series of courtyards where people were down looking up and outside looking in, it's as if it's been leveled and the walls have been knocked down and we now all have equal access to God. Don't think like humans think. Don't let the walls that divide humans divide you from other Christians. Whether we're talking, look at verse uh, 11 there, whether we're talking national boundaries or racial boundaries or social boundaries or cultural boundaries or in Galatians 3, even the boundaries between men and women. Don't let those walls divide you from other Christians. Number three, very briefly, a third implication and application is seek to be reconciled personally with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Seek in your personal relationships to be reconciled to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This week I read a story by Robert Louis Stevenson, a story he tells in his book, Picturesque Notes of Edinburgh. There is in Scotland a legend of two unmarried sisters who shared a single room. But they had an intense argument, these two sisters did, over what Stevenson called some point of controversial divinity. In other words, they argued about theology. And they became so bitter as a result of this argument that they never spoke to each other again. For the rest of their lives, there was only silence. Whether the reason was financial or whether the reason was their reputation, they continued to live in that same single room. So they divided the room into two with a simple chalk line on the floor. Stevenson writes, it bisected the doorway and the fireplace so that each could go out and in and do her cooking without violating the territory of the other. So for years they coexisted in a hateful silence, always exposed to an unfriendly scrutiny. And at night, in the dark watches, each could hear the breathing of her enemy. Never did four walls look down upon an uglier spectacle. Listen, Paul wants us to know that because of the ministry of Christ, because of the message of Christ, because it's a message of peace and a ministry of peace, not only with God, but with other people, that the reality that we are united in Christ forces us not to allow unresolved hostility and bitterness to continue in our relationships with one another.
Look at Colossians again, Colossians 3. Notice verse 12. Right after he talks about that union we have in Christ, the walls are broken down. So, in light of that reality, as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, treat each other with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. And listen, when you interact with people, there are going to be problems. How do you handle it? Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Listen, you may be here this morning as a professing Christian, and you may be aware, even as you sit here this morning, that there is settled hostility a state of hostility between you and another professing brother or sister in Christ. Maybe a part of your family, maybe a part of this church, maybe someone across the country or across the world. But you know as you sit here, there is that wall that you have built. If that's true, as Paul says, I speak it to your shame. Because in Christ, the differences that divide us have been broken down If that person is a true believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot allow that wall of hostility to remain up. As Jesus urges us in the Sermon on the Mount, if you go to present your offering, to present your worship to God, and you become aware that your brother has something against you, stop, leave your offering, go make it right with your brother, and then come back and worship. This is what God commands. This is what Christ expects. He has made peace between us and God, and that means He's made peace between us and each other. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for the wonderful truth we've discovered in this chapter, unexpected in many ways, as so often when we study Your Word. The passage seems on a surface reading uh, to be unclear, to be unhelpful, and then when we study it together, by the work of Your Spirit, You open our minds to see it and it becomes rich and full and powerful in our lives. And Father, I pray that this passage would become that to us. Lord, help us to approach You with confidence because Christ has made peace. Help us to draw near to You in the spirit of confidence, not because of us, but because of Him whose flesh has become our access point to You, whose torn body on the cross has become the way we come to You. Father, I pray that you would help us to tear down the walls that divide in the church. Lord, don't let us allow those walls that divide humans to divide us because Christ has leveled them all. We pray that our church would be a church characterized by the passage we read in Colossians where there is the bearing with one another, there is the compassion, there's the gentleness and the patience and the forgiveness. May there be this love that becomes a perfect bond of unity. We pray it in Jesus' name and for His sake and glory. Amen. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, and that concludes our current series titled, He Himself is Our Peace. Tom will begin a new series on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, as we conclude the series today, What must a person do if he or she may be wondering if they truly are in Christ, 
so that they might have full assurance that the wall that separates them and God has indeed been torn down. You know, there are really two paths to assurance. The first is to make sure you understand the true biblical gospel, that God's only Son entered the world as one of us, lived a perfect life, a life of perfection, and then gave himself on the cross for the sins of all of those who would believe, and God raised him from the dead. If we repent and believe, we enjoy the forgiveness that he purchased. Understand the true gospel. Embrace that true gospel. But there's another way to know that you're in Christ and have that assurance, and that is to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. John, the apostle, in his first letter talks about that. Read 1 John. Pray for insight and direction and pursue the knowledge that you are, in fact, truly in Christ. Thanks, Tom. Well, friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You'll find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.